Maybe, Andrew, you could uh, leave that Veggie Tales book here just in case I need some inspiration uh, at some point here. Let me uh, add my words of gratitude for uh, Resonant being with us, and I know this is kind of a big day for you guys, so thanks for, for being with us. And, and yes, you are Resonant. Uh, so uh, that's great. And like the surround sound thing, that was kind of cool, wasn't it? So, and it means that uh, another school year is over and the students will be leaving and uh, going to their various uh, vocations and, and homes and then we'll be regathering in a few short months. And it kind of is, is the change of the seasons. And as has already been mentioned a couple of times, we're, we're kind of on the bubble we're not exactly sure that, that spring is here yet, but we see some hopeful signs. But then, of course, then we're reminded, uh, sometimes harshly, that maybe we're not quite there yet. Not all the snow is gone. The grass isn't green yet. The leaves aren't out yet. They came close last night. So it's just kind of one of those times of year. It's kind of one of those hinge times, right? And, uh, I've been waiting for weeks and weeks to make fun of the Leafs, and this, it's, it's been hard because they've been good. So anyway, so it gives us opportunity to, to thank the Lord for his faithful to us, faithfulness to us in all seasons. And we've been starting the last few weeks uh, going through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We've been calling it the King's Speech. And it's a very, very important part of, of Scripture, of the, of the Gospel of Matthew. And it gives us this sense of, of what Jesus wants from us as his followers. So we're going to continue on in our study of that. So I'd invite you to stand with me. We're going to be uh, reading from uh, Matthew 5, verses 17 to 20. These are very, very pivotal verses for understanding at least the rest of the fifth chapter, if not the rest of, of the sermon itself. So very important words from the lips of Jesus. Matthew five seventeen. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we know you're good. <laughs> you always have been. You always will be. And we're always going to be on the receiving end of that goodness, and we simply would be, we'd be lost without it. So we desperately want to be able to reflect your goodness, but we are so easily confused and, and deceived. 
So show us what you want us to be, how you want us to act, and how we might get there. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please take a seat. There are times in life when we want to ask those questions. They're milestone moments. Possibly like graduation, like we've been celebrating this, this past weekend. Maybe it's an occasion where you've encountered a, a difficulty, a tragedy, a personal one. There are a lot of people these days in, in the aftermath of the huge accident that are asking all kinds of questions. Hockey players, their parents, all the province, the entire country. It's, it's a time for asking questions. And I'm talking about important ones. Not simple ones like, what's for supper? Or will summer ever come? Or that perennial music question, who let the dogs out? Uh, someone needs to update their playlist. We're not talking about those simple, dumb questions. We're talking about ultimate questions. Like... Where do we come from? Why are we like the way we are? What's gone wrong? Where are we heading? Those are ultimate questions. Those are important questions. One of those can be phrased like this. What is it about us that makes us good and right people. How do we live the way God wants us to live? Or if we translate it into a little more biblical terminology, how can we live righteously in a way that is acceptable to God? Even when we ask these questions, sometimes before we even are able to stop ourselves, we start thinking, well, maybe we can do a good portion of this on our own steam. And maybe we think because we live in the age in which we live that we have all kinds of help now to be better people and we can just kind of use what's around us to, to be better. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure all of you are aware that we now have smartphones and we have smart watches, but did you know you can now buy a smart fork? I'm not, I'm not kidding. It's true. This smart fork can tell you how fast you're eating and if you're chewing enough. You can also get a smart toothbrush. Pay 50 bucks and, and, <laughs> and your toothbrush is connected to an app on your smartphone. I guess by Bluetooth. <laughs> that sounds a little weird, doesn't it? Right? There, there's some software that you can get called Posture Track that tells you when you're slouching. Or you can get a device installed in your car that chirps at you every time you drive carelessly, assuming you haven't married someone who is willing to do that for free. 
So these are all things that we have at our disposal that you would think would help us be better people. But it doesn't take us very long to realize gadgets are no, we're in a heap of trouble if we think it's all up to us. And so that whole idea of us making ourselves uh, the kind of people that, that God wants, it's not going to fly. Because we've been looking at Jesus' words here in the Sermon on the Mount. And we remember that this sermon is Jesus' vision for the kingdom of heaven. What it will be like if all of his followers seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. The Sermon on the Mount is his messianic imagination at work. And he calls us to be part of this big dream. This big dream that is made by this big Jesus. And so in our few verses this morning, Jesus is introducing us to a couple of different ways in which we can act righteously. That we can be right and be good people. There is the way of the scribes and the Pharisees, and then there is the way of Jesus, his way. These are both obviously opposing views, but they do agree on one thing. They agree that our rightness comes from what God wants for us. The standard of rightness, the standard of goodness is something we can agree on. What God wants for us, his standard of rightness, is what we call the law. So what God wants from us has not changed. God has not changed his mind in what he wants for us. Now how we receive what God wants for us is what often makes the difference. And so on the one hand, we've got God's people, Israel. And God gave them his gift of law to show them what he wanted them to be and to do. The law was a gift. It was an evidence of God's grace, of his election, of his choice of Israel as his special people. And that gift was to help them become what God wanted them to be. He wanted his people to be a light to all the nations. But it didn't seem to work out that way because the problem is every time Israel was faced with an issue, they, they, they failed. They never seemed to be able to live up to the gift. They were delivered out of Egyptian bondage into the wilderness, and they messed up in the wilderness. They started worshiping golden calves and were whining and complaining for 40 years. They were delivered into the promised land. They messed up again, over and over again, worshiping the pagan idols and gods and goddesses of those around them. And then they end up in captivity. So by the time that Jesus shows up, the spiritual leaders, these scribes and the Pharisees of the Jewish people, seem to have lost their calling. They have forgotten what it means to be the light to the nations, and they had simply settled for managing sin. And so they took this gift, the gift of the law, and they decided that they would widen it, they would stretch it, 
so that it could cover every possible scenario that you could encounter in a lifetime. So they had a rule by taking the law and stretching it and widening it. They had a rule for every occasion, kind of like Hallmark cards. And, and they took God's law and they, they massaged it and they added things to it and they stretched it so that there couldn't be any possible scenario that you wouldn't have at least two or three laws to help you. So they ended up with hundreds of these rules. How do you observe the Sabbath? All kinds of rules of how you do that. What are you supposed to eat? All kinds of rules about that. Who are you supposed to hang around with? All kinds of rules about that. All kinds of ways to keep you clean and not allow you to be soiled or unclean. But on the other hand, here comes Jesus. And he doesn't seem to share this love of rules of the scribes and the Pharisees. And he does things on the Sabbath that scandalize these religious leaders. And Jesus hangs out with people that the scribes and the Pharisees wouldn't have been caught dead alongside. He has all these strange ideas. And it's not long before the, uh, the idea gets passed around, that the word gets out that this Jesus isn't playing by the rules that he is playing fast and loose with the law of God. So in these few verses, this is where Jesus takes time to spell out what it means to be right and good if we're going to be part of his kingdom of heaven dream. Now he's not talking here how we get this righteousness. He's talking about the standard of this righteousness. He's talking about how we are to act. What God expects of us in our behavior if we are to be part of this massive kingdom dream. So he begins with himself. And the first couple of verses talk about himself. And as he's trying to, to portray his dream of real righteousness... He begins by saying that he, or Jesus, fully fills the law. Look at verses 17 and 18. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, the Old Testament. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is accomplished. So what Jesus is saying here is that he hasn't come to widen or to stretch the law like the scribes and the Pharisees. Nor has he, become, has he come to promote it or to completely abolish it or rub it out altogether. He has come, this is his purpose, he has come to fulfill the law. Okay, so he's, he's not stretching it and he's not promoting it and he's not abolishing it, he's fulfilling it. 
What does that mean? Well, you can't read Matthew's gospel without running into a phrase like this over and over again. This was done to fulfill what the prophet said. It's, it's a refrain. It's a mantra that's found all the way through Matthew's gospel. In other words, what Matthew is telling us here is that Jesus is able to fulfill everything that Israel couldn't. Israel failed while being tested in the wilderness. Jesus passed the test with flying colors when he was tested in the wilderness. Israel couldn't keep their faithfulness to God. Jesus was always faithful to God. So everything that Jesus does, everything that Jesus says is a fulfilling of what God had expected Israel to do, but they did not and could not. They failed to do so. And so Jesus comes to fulfill what Israel was unable to do. So it's not really rocket science. To fulfill simply means to fully fill. That's what it means. So Israel is running on empty, and and they needed someone to fill things fully. In the midst of their failure, Israel would would look for, in in desperation and in hope, for some way of of getting this fulfillment to come. They They would say before God, we are weak and we worship other gods, but when Messiah comes... True worship will fill the earth. And they would say, we sin against each other and we oppress each other. But when Messiah comes, the earth will be filled with righteousness and peace. It's a bit like Narnia. (laughs) When, When Lucy first kind of finds her way through the wardrobe. Because in Narnia, it's it's always winter. And, and never Christmas. Kind of like Saskatchewan. And so she looks around, and Narnia, at first blush, is, is a bleak place. But she runs into this guy named Mr. Beaver. And Mr. Beaver is still hopeful because he says, Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. When Messiah comes. All will be right. Now in Jesus, Messiah has come. And in what he says and in what he does, he brings fullness to the law. He doesn't abolish it. He doesn't try to stretch it. He himself is the fulfilling or the filling full of what God wants for us. See, God has always wanted us to love and to worship him. And Jesus comes as the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. God has always wanted his people to be holy. Jesus embodies what it means to be holy. God has always wanted us to treat each other well. Jesus shows us what true love is. 
Now, there were laws about how to observe the Sabbath, but Jesus comes and he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And there are laws about what foods will make you clean or unclean, but Jesus says, it's not what goes into your body that makes you unclean, it's what comes out. In himself, in his words, Jesus comes to fulfill the law, to fully fill it, not abolish it. Nor does he widen or stretch it. Jesus comes, actually, to deepen the law, to internalize the law. So this law, whether we like it or not, is not going to disappear because God's desire for his people remains the same. As a matter of fact, not only will it not disappear, not the smallest bit of it is going to disappear. Not even the smallest little bit of punctuation or the smallest letter will disappear until all of it is fully filled in Jesus. So, Jesus begins showing us what God wants us to be like, how he wants us to act in the kingdom of heaven by showing his own relationship to the law and says he now is the one who is uniquely qualified to show us what God wants us to act like and what he wants us to be. So that's the first half. Jesus has told us about himself and how he wants us to be the kind of good and right person that we should be to be part of this massive kingdom of heaven dream. But what about us? What part of this uh, are we supposed to play? Does, does Jesus have anything to say to us about this? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. Because he does. In the next couple of verses, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, remember that word. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus has fully filled the law. Now, we are to fully follow Jesus. And that's what he's telling us in these next couple of verses. We need to follow what Jesus is saying here, otherwise we're going to get ourselves very, very confused. Now the second part of this argument, the last two verses here, build upon what he has just talked about in the previous two. That's why they're joined by that little word, therefore. So we've got to follow what Jesus is trying to say. Because if not, then we'll end up actually probably in worse shape than the scribes and the Pharisees. And they've been trying to kill themselves by obeying every last little law. And unless we figure out what Jesus is saying here, we're going to end up in the same boat. So let's, let's listen close. Let's pay attention to that little word, therefore. 
He's just told us in the first couple of verses that he was the one that has fully filled the law. He is the one who really could tell us what God wants for us and from us. So, if it's Jesus who can tell us what God wants, then we're not free to pick and choose among these laws. Say, oh, I like that one. That's a good one. I'll keep that one. Oh, I don't want to like that one. That's very inconvenient. I'll just throw that one away. I'll ignore that one. If Jesus is the one who is uniquely qualified to show us what God wants, we don't have the sovereignty to say, well, I, want, I like this law, and oh, I don't, like, I don't like that one. We don't have the freedom to pick and choose. We don't have the freedom to ignore the little ones and keep the big ones. We don't have the freedom to stretch the law like the scribes and the Pharisees. That's not the way Jesus has designed it to work in the kingdom of heaven, in this big dream of Jesus for how life is going to be when he's in control. And so if we try to do that, if we try to pick and choose, if we try to stretch the law, that just shows that we are putting ourselves on the outside looking in. That's not the kind of behavior Jesus expects of those who are part of his kingdom of heaven dream. Jesus is actually looking for something better from us. Better than this legalistic rule keeping of the scribes and Pharisees. And we have our own scribes and Pharisees today. They aren't an ancient phenomenon. But he's expecting something better from us. He wants our righteousness to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. He wants our righteousness to be deeper. He wants us to be able to, to act in righteous and loving and holy ways, not because we're just checking off a rule. He wants this to bubble up from within. He wants us to be internally motivated to do the right thing. Not for fear of punishment or for fear of being unclean, but because this is how we act now that we belong to Jesus and are part of his kingdom of heaven vision. It's stuff that's designed to bubble up within us. It's what Dallas Willard calls a kingdom heart. So those of us that are called to fully follow Jesus are called to act out of this kingdom heart. It shows that we're doing things not just for brownie points, but we're doing them from the proper motivation. It, it, we're following Jesus fully from the depths of our heart, from our kingdom heart. Now that means it's, it's not enough. If we see someone who we can tell is going through a hard time and, and we just kind of brush by them and give them maybe a nice kind of pious smile and, and, and walk by. That's not enough. If we have a kingdom heart, when we see someone who is hurting, not because we're afraid someone's watching, but out of the depths of our heart, we, we go to that person and say, 
I, I see you're in trouble. Is, is there anything that I can do? That's the kind of, of behavior he's asking for us. Or what happens if, if you are driving down the road and you see someone pulled off on, on the side and they obviously have a flat tire? What do you do? Do you just kind of nicely slow down a little bit and, and, and pull over to the side so you don't shower them with gravel or dust as you go by? If, if you have a kingdom heart... You, you stop. You have something to offer. You ask them if they would like a hand. Right? Hey, you don't have to be boring to be righteous. You know? You, you just kind of allow those, those things to bubble up from within you and, and you just act accordingly to that. That's what it means to serve out of a kingdom heart. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. Now, maybe this would make a little more sense if, if we had some more examples. Maybe good ones. Jesus is way ahead of us. <laughs> because the rest of the fifth chapter is just example after example, six of them, of ways in which Having a kingdom heart makes a difference. And how we relate to one another, how we speak, all of these things are part of, of six examples in a row that, that Jesus mentions. And we'll get to those in the next number of, of weeks. We'll take a look at each of those to show what it means to, to live out of a, a kingdom heart. And by the end of that, finally it might have sunk into our minds that this is the kind of action that God requires from us if we are to be part of his kingdom of heaven dream. He wants all of us to live out of this kingdom heart Now, we may have asked the question uh, at the beginning, how, how can we be right? How can we act in a good way? Jesus has taken great pains to, to show what he thinks. And, and in the end, I think what he's simply saying is that our rightness, our righteousness, our capacity to act in a good and right way is only found in Jesus' fullness. Only in light of Jesus being able to fully fill the law can we fully follow Jesus. And only because Jesus has fully filled the law can we allow our lives to overflow with the fullness of of a kingdom heart. So, we may have started with some of those questions, those ultimate questions of who we are and where we're heading, but in, in usual Jesus style, 
Jesus has a question for us as well. And his question is simply this. How is your kingdom heart? Amen. Let's stand together and sing.